Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Before we get started with this episode of SFF Yeah, we would like to tell you about another podcast you might enjoy called Unassigned Reading. It is a book club podcast hosted by sisters and book lovers Sarah and Rachel Britton, where they have serious literary discussions about YA, sci-fi, fantasy, romance, and other genres that we usually read for fun. So pretty much anything you wouldn't talk about in English class, from Star Wars novels to tour novellas. They also have loads of book recommendations and other bookish topics, and these are all things we know that you're interested in since you're listening to this show. So check out Unassigned Reading on your favorite podcatcher. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 57, and we are recording on June 26th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Sharifa Williams, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. And today we're talking about clones, twins, and doppelgangers. I <laughs> I had an interesting time with this one. <laughs> <laughs> we picked it thinking it would be easy, and I think we started with maybe just clones, and then they were like, uh... Maybe we need to broaden this a little bit. Yes. Uh, and let me tell you, uh, so that I don't interfere with my actual book recommendation, I just want to tell you about my struggle because I forgot that we had changed it to twins and doppelgangers. Oh, no. So while I was trying to find my fantasy pick, I must have read like half of three different very weird books oh, no. that were vaguely related to clones. And I was like, <laughs> Do ch- are changelings with that? count and oh yeah. my goodness yeah so, I had yeah. I had trouble with the fantasy side of it too and I was yes. like oh and that was when we opened it up a little bit um <laughs> but I remembered and made my life a little bit easier oh, oh Lord. yes it's gonna the, be a fun one it is the adventures that we have <laughs> exactly uh science fiction fantasy surprisingly not so alike thematically right. um <laughs> So before we get into our news topics, I'm going to tell you about our first sponsor, which is Kingdom of Exiles by Maxim M. Martineau, um, and this is by Source Books. So exiled charmer Lena Edenfrell is running out of time. Empty pockets forced her to sell her beloved magical beasts, an offense punishable by death, and now there's a price on her head. With the realm's most talented murderer for hire, nipping at her heels, Lena makes Snock an offer he can't refuse. Powerful, mythical creatures in exchange for her life. Plagued by a curse that kills everyone he loves, Nock agrees to Lena's terms in hopes of finding a cure. Never mind that the dark magic binding the assassin's oath will eventually force him to choose between Lena's continued survival and his own. So Kingdom of Exiles is Maxim Martineau's debut, and it's already getting praise from authors like Dorinda Jones and C.L. Wilson. Um, it's described uh, as, this book is described as coming from a powerful new voice in fantasy romance, 
and from a bona fide genius. That is high praise indeed. I wish somebody would say that about me. Um, (laughs) It's described as original, breathtaking, absolutely fabulous. So definitely, it sounds like it's a great read for people who really love romance elements in their fantasy. Um, And it sounds very buzzy already. So again, that is Kingdom of Exiles by Maxim M. Martineau. Very interesting. Okay. Let's see now. Oh, I know what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the Harry Potter Wizards Unite game. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Have you played it all yet? I did. I ended up downloading it. Um, (laughs) I did not have such great luck with it, but we should definitely, uh, let's hear some of the background on it. Okay, okay. So they have been teasing this for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And it was it's from Niantic Labs, which were the makers of or involved somehow in Pokemon Go. So they were, you know, saying this is Harry Potter but Pokemon Go style. And I think that's mostly legit, but not quite. Anyway, they dropped it finally a little bit early on June twentieth. So we've had a little bit of time to mess around mm-hmm. with it. And I have just started dabbling, but the general plot of it is that a bunch of the magical wizarding world, including like people and objects and creatures, have been injected into the muggle world by something called the Calamity. And your job as a player slash wizard is to go around finding these things and returning them to the wizarding world because otherwise the muggles will know that magic is real and the statute of secrecy will be broken and blah blah blah. And there's probably also more dire things going on, but at least in the beginning of the game, like this is what we know. And yeah. so and so yes, so I started playing it and I discovered a couple of things. First of all, it's not super fun to be with me while I'm playing it if you're not also playing it. <laughs> like I went for a walk with my significant other and I told him ahead of time that this is what I was going to do on the walk, but it was I felt so bad like every 5 feet like, "Oh, I have to capture this thing or like I have to defeat this foe. Sorry, can you just hang out here next to me on the street side for like 5 minutes?" Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, poor guy. Um, and and actually, he and I were talking about the mechanics of it because he was watching as I was playing. And he had an interesting thought. You know, it's very, it knows where you are, right? Like, it knows where yeah. you are. It's all t- augmented reality. And it's like, you know, there's the little bookstore mural. And that will give you special points and or items and whatnot. But he noticed that I didn't have to be exactly in front of it. Or I could be facing the wrong direction and still get the things he was like what if it was more like geocaching like what if it was somehow hooked into geocaching where you'd be at the exact spot to get the thing and i was like oh that would be harder but also very interesting but you you can just be sort of in proximity to the things which is nice if you don't want to be super precise about it and i found the gameplay generally easy to pick up although duels I did the wrong thing for probably three minutes. I thought I was supposed to be tapping, but actually you have to tilt your phone to line up a star with another star. Yes. Yes. And I was, I was like, why, what am I doing wrong? Like, I don't understand. And then I finally figured it out by accident and was like, could you not have, it just says like, line up the stars. And you're like, how would you like me to do that? (laughs) So it's a little opaque to me. I don't play a ton of AR mobile games, so perhaps others more used to it would be would pick it up faster but 
But I have a lot of friends who are desperately in love with it. Like I was talking to my friend Molly, who lives in Portland, and Mm -hmm. she was saying that it's just the best thing that's happened to her in the last two weeks, especially because she was very anxious about a thing that she had no control over. She's waiting to hear back about something. And she was like, this was the perfect distraction. I could just walk around, get out of the house and have something totally engrossing to do to take my mind off of things. So... That's sort of the gist of it so far yeah. from, from my end. So you're not enjoying it, though. Well, I – here are uh, – this is my real talk about it <laughs> is that I realized how unwilling I am to go out of my door on the week- <laughs> weekdays. Because I did download it specifically to test it out for this episode and because I have been looking forward to it and curious about it. But as soon as, like, there's the test, there's, um, like, you know, you get to have a trial run sort Mm -hmm. of to make sure you know how it all works. And you can do that whatever from, you know, sitting on as I was sitting on my couch in my apartment. And so your trial thing is there. And once I did that, I was like, okay. And then I was looking at the map with the little wizard standing yes. on it. And I was like, well, how do I make it move? And it occurred <laughs> to me that I make it move by moving myself, <laughs> as you do, because I am not a Pokemon Go player. I know how it works, but, you know, these are the things you're not really thinking about when you're picking it up for the first time. And then I was literally, like, looking at my door and looking at, like, the first place it pointed out, which is just down my street. And I was like, I could go outside. (laughs) And I could do this. But I really don't want to. (laughs) And... So I think that that's the thing. And then when I go outside, when I go out the door, this game is definitely meant for specific people. I think there are people who really like these games um, and would be out in the world trying to, like, you know, catch them all. But I, when I leave my apartment, it's so that I can get away from the screen. Mm. So I can already tell it's going to be very difficult and maybe for good reason for me to like pick up this game and try it out in the outdoors. But I could absolutely see this being a really great time for people who already like these games, who like to be outdoors and maybe... Maybe it's even a reason to go outdoors for some people. Like, it's the right. opposite for me, but that doesn't apply for everybody else. So I could see this as being like a, well, I should go outside and, you know, catch some more creatures and catch some more memories and things like that. So my experience is very personal to me because I'm a weirdo. No, um, no I, <laughs> I think that's a good point that if you go outside to get away from screens, this is not going to be your jam. And that yeah. makes perfect sense to me. And I was thinking, I was like, when would I do this? Like, I obviously I was testing it out specifically to talk about it, but I was trying mm-hmm. to think it just in my daily life, when would I do this? And I was like, well, sometimes, you know, I have to go to the library or the drugstore or the grocery store and I walk everywhere like I live in a neighborhood I don't have a car and I live in a neighborhood where I can walk to all of those places and I do and I was like oh I could do it then and you know if it adds an extra let's say 10 minutes onto my walk like no big deal but when I am going out into the world for fun it's very true I'm often trying to get away from a screen so I think you just either that's like either it's more it's more than enough fun for for you to to have the screen in front of you or you know it somehow slots into your 
outgoing walks or maybe encourages you to get out and walk more. I know that lots of people talked about with Pokemon Go, like suddenly I'm hitting my 10,000 steps a day because (laughs) I have have to get the Pokemon. Like it makes perfect sense. So I think that's fantastic. And I hope it does encourage people to go outside and stuff and hopefully not run into things or people. It does give you a warning at the beginning, like be aware of your surroundings. Don't trespass. (laughs) Don't trespass. Yeah, that was another one. Yeah. Um, But I think that outside of that, like, the design is really cool. Mm -hmm. It really did not disappoint me in terms of, like, how it was executed. Um, So I thought – I think it's great. I think it's fantastic. And it sounds like a lot of people are really excited about it and pleased with it. So good on them. Yeah. Okay. Um, I want to talk about this Brave New World news. Yes. Um, which I didn't even know about it until I uh, saw it in the show notes, and it's really exciting. So Brave New World, as you might know, the classic novel by Aldous Huxley. Am, am I, I never know whether I'm saying that right. Yeah, that's right. You're right. Yes. <laughs> um, it's going to be adapted. And I'm kind of I'm kind of shocked that it hasn't, like, it's only just being adapted because it does seem like one of those books that has some elements that would be very, that would fit in with sort of some of the contemporary science fiction dystopian adaptations we've been seeing well, recently. Well, I do think, I do, there are older adaptations. That's true. That's yes. true. They're this just, is a newer one. Yes, a much newer. And I don't know that any of those other adaptations were any good. I haven't seen any of them either. Same, And same. I think I just assumed that they were not good. I feel like <laughs> there are adaptations of these classic science fiction novels that you hear about all the time. And because Brave New World isn't one I hear about all the time, I'm like, mm-hmm. oh boy, that must have like you know must got snapped or did not yeah. do well yeah so um it looks like Kylie Bunbury, Hannah John Kamen and Demi Moore have been added to the ensemble cast and the actual official description reads a lot like the actual plot of Brave New World so it doesn't sound like they're going far out of it. So it's about a utopian society, quote unquote utopian, um, that has peace and stability. They have prohibited monogamy, privacy, money, family, and history itself. Um, and it's set in New London, where these two characters, Bernard Max and Lenina Crown, are very much part of this social order. There are some questions that come up in, I think it was Bernard's mind, at least in the book. Uh, from the beginning, and there's this pharmaceutical called Soma that kind of keeps everybody in control, in line, Um, and there's lots of instant gratification, um, and they're trying to explore, so these two characters go out to explore life beyond these strictures of society, and they find this new world, Um, and new worlders who breed like we do, you know, normally, um, not with Uh, I think they do like, it's just, it's not clones that they're making in the book, but they are bred in a lab, basically. And so it's very much like the book where they find these New Worlders and then they find this person. They're actually called the Savage Lands. Sorry, the New Worlders are the New Londoners. I just want to correct that. Oh, that's right. Thank you. Thank you. No worries. I'm reading off of this thing. Um, Yeah. So then they go to 
the savage land, which is the part that I'm kind of like, ooh, how are they yeah. going to deal with this? Because they take someone from this place called the savage land, and the person that they pick up is John the Savage, um, and they bring him to this utopian society and that's when things start to like you know it disrupts everything and it disrupts things in John's life it disrupts things in Bernard and Lenina's life and in this culture so I am a little bit nervous about how they're going to deal with that part of it because it is in the book at least the way that the savage lands are depicted like it's based off of you know native american culture and their way of life and so i'm like oh i'm a little bit i don't know uncomfortable yeah i was thinking the same thing and i did a little digging and found some more information about who has been cast as what character Mm -hmm. and i was pleased to see that the actors of color who i'm aware of in any case and who have been declared to have certain roles are so far all new worlders like they're they're part of the new society the quote-unquote utopian society Mm -hmm. and i don't know alden ehrenreich's ethnicity or history but he is the one playing john the savage and he he's like he's pretty pale (laughs) so he um i could be wrong about that but like he's not he doesn't read immediately as like native american or black or anything like that so it feels to me hopefully like they're building diversity into the cast without casting their actors of color as these like quote-unquote savages so far anyway who knows what the end product will look like but yeah um that might be the case and if they just take it like i can see that they take it completely they remove it completely from that narrative where it's like trying to copy native americans Mm -hmm. and take from that culture to make this part of the story so i hope that's the case. I wouldn't want to see any of that, to be honest. Nope. Um, so uh, we will see. But I am really happy as well about the diversity of the cast. And I am really interested in say We don't see that much like utopian um, science fiction on television or on the screen in general. So I'm really curious about how audiences will take it as well so yeah we'll see what happens with with the brave new world and if you haven't read the book yet i mean i'm not saying you have to read it because (laughs) a lot of us were probably forced to read it in high school yep (laughs) but if you've ever been curious about it now might be a good time let's see also speaking of movies and books I want to talk about this Hunger Games prequel that Mm -hmm. Suzanne Collins announced earlier this month. She has said that she's working on a prequel and it's set to come out in May of 2020. So a little ways away. It does not have a declared title yet. And it is apparently about the quote unquote dark days of Pan Am following a failed rebellion. And this is uh, 10 years after the war, 
Yes. Reconstruction period, 10 years after the war. And people have done some math on this and been like, oh, it's like 60-ish years before the events of the Hunger Games and noted that the winner of the Hunger Games 60-ish years before Katniss was Mags. And mm-hmm. as soon as somebody said that, all I wanted in this world was a Mags prequel. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even th- I didn't even know that was a thing I wanted and now I want it. Although there are many other characters who would be really interesting to hear about actually. But anyway, I I just I'm very curious to see what this is going to be like because as with other franchises like Harry Potter, the more mucking around with the franchise the author does sometimes the less interested i get yeah and so it could be awesome or it could feel like an unnecessary yet another random thing to drop into the you know feed as it were of literature and be like why did we why do we have this like this is not this is not what i wanted so uh, i'm very conflicted is my story about that yeah um i thought it was interesting I was not somebody who got into Hunger Games when it was out just because it was one of those, like, I was overwhelmed by the hype Mm -hmm. so much that I kind of, like, took a step back and never really came around to it. Um, So I've watched, like, the first, I think, the first two movies, um, which sounds terrible because I never really got to do it, (laughs) but I was sort of like, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, So I kind of have... I'm not really going into this with any sort of expectations, but I will say about, you know, mucking around with a story that did really well and that's become a franchise and was a really big hit like, you know, like Harry Potter is as well. I feel like because Suzanne Collins has been so out of the limelight. Mm hmm. I think Harry, that like the Harry Potter franchise has so much more. And the Hunger Games seems like it is this huge thing. And it was like a phenomenon. Um, but I feel like Harry Potter has so much more mucking happening oh, yes. with it. Um, that it's almost kind of a relief to me that there is so far, you know, this is the first real news we've heard about something else coming from this. So I, you know, and it's kind of coming from somebody who has, who's really tired of hearing about Harry Potter stuff all the time um, (laughs) and all the new things, but I feel like, I feel kind of okay about this prequel and maybe this is where I finally come in and start actually reading this series. I can just like read from the prequel and then go on to the hunger games. Who knows? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's interesting to me. I read, I can't remember how close to publication I read the first two in the series, but I read the third one as it came out and there was a huge sort of love triangle controversy i guess is the word I remember that. people had really specific feelings about yes. how who katniss should or should not have ended up with and i'm not going to spoil anything for you but i will say that i loved the final chapter of the third book and 
I will continue to defend, especially that final. Like the rest of the book, it was like the pacing was weird and some strange things happened. And I felt like there was some character assassination. Like I have feelings, but that final chapter made it all worth it for me. So I, I think it's worth, if you have the time and the interest, I do think it's worth reading them. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting, it's a, it was a very interesting phenomenon while it happened. And it, it is actually curious to me to think about rereading them. I haven't done that. I wonder. Hmm. Maybe after you. Well, this prequel isn't coming out for a yes. while, so we have a long we got time, time to brew over it. Yes, yes. And to consider our feelings. Okay. Yes, right. <laughs> We're actually running out of time on the news, but I just wanted to mention um, this other news piece we had, just so that people have it on their radar and they read it. If you have it an opportunity. It's a fantastic piece. It's called How Dungeons and Dragons Became So Wonderfully Gay. And it basically recounts this person, the writer, the author of this piece, uh, Cody Keplinger, wrote about their first encounter with Dungeons and Dragons. And it was, it read very much like you might expect of an experience, especially if you came around like comics and gaming stores of a certain time where um, the author came into a comic shop and the first time they encountered D&D was seeing a bunch of white boys and men playing D&D. And it was fascinating, but then it was also, it felt like, it felt like Cody did not belong among them. Mm-hmm. And then it goes on to talk about how D&D has evolved in terms of like how the game is set up, especially with certain companies where they're trying to be a lot more inclusive about um, queer people and queer stories. And I never played D&D myself, but reading this piece almost made me feel like maybe I could do it now. And there are more online opportunities to play D&D. And um, according to Cody, like everybody, uh, like every time they played a game of D&D online, there's usually at least one queer person and they're like LGBTQ plus um, channels that they can follow within these online games, which is fantastic. And it's just a really great, heartwarming piece about D&D. So if there are any D&D players out there or anybody who's been curious about it or felt excluded by it, um, I would definitely recommend uh, checking out this article and reading it because it's it just warmed my heart. It was fantastic. Yeah. No, and a side note, Cody Kaplander is a really great YA author. She's written a bunch of oh. awesome YA books. I've really loved following her career. And she was also involved in a really wonderful site called Disability and Kidlit. And so she is a person who I always am excited to see pieces from. And this was, she writes like contemporary YA. So I had never thought of her as a nerd person in this way (laughs) and so it was really lovely to me to see this piece and and to see her fascination with you know the evolution of Dungeons and Dragons and the deliberate inclusion on the part of the game makers of LGBTQIA characters and yeah it really it's it really is a lovely piece it's not really news but you should all read it yes all right let's see is it time for our next sponsor i believe I think so. it is which is protect the prince by jennifer estep which you might remember is the sequel to kill the queen uh which is part of the crown of shards series so this is book two 
and it has magic and murder and scheming royals and romance and a gladiator queen. So <laughs> what amazing. more could you want? Uh, Everly Blair is the new gladiator queen of Bellona, but her problems are not over. She's got a court full of scheming nobles and an assassination attempt in her own throw room, throne room. And there are crumbling diplomatic relations with a neighboring king who wants revenge. So her magic and life and crown are all in danger, as is her heart. Uh-oh. Thanks to Lucas Sullivan, the bastard son of the king. And she is finding that protecting a prince might even be harder than killing a queen. My personal, one of my personal favorite authors, uh, Ilona Andrews, has raved about this book, calling it exciting, original, and filled with characters who jump off the page. So that is a strong endorsement. And yeah, it sounds super fun. So if you need that in your summer reading life, again, it is Protect the Prince by Jennifer Estep, and that is the sequel to Kill the Queen. Thank you so much for sponsoring the show. All right, let's talk about clones, doppelgangers, and twins. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah this is... I, I, I feel the need to defend... The broadening mm-hmm. of the topic? Should I? Do I need to do that? Does it? Does it make perfect sense why those three things would be related? I feel like it does. I feel like it does. If you want to broaden our uh, the scope of why we did it, you may. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it was in part because it is really hard to find fantasy about yes. clones. Like it's just, it's really, really hard. And then I was thinking, well, what is what is the interesting thing about a clone? Right. The interesting thing about a clone is that it's a duplicate. And mm-hmm. how else do we? get interesting weird duplicates so twins and doppelgangers were the next two things that came to mind so that is my defense of our broadening of this topic and i'm so glad we broadened it (laughs) (laughs) although my first pick which is my science fiction pick um was a great one an easy one to come by uh thanks to you jen who recommended it and i had forgotten we even talked about it back when we were talking about rosewater so My science fiction pick is a great read for horror lovers. Mm. It's very scary. Um, And it's The Murders of Molly Southbourne by Tade Thompson. And some of you might have tuned in while we recorded our book club episode where we were talking about Thompson's novel, Rosewater, which was amazing. Um, So I was trying to kind of temper my high expectations coming into this book because I (laughs) loved Rosewater so much. But I couldn't really, and I didn't need to because... It was a fantastic novella, and it was so creepy. Um, so, yeah, this is a novella. It's probably a one-sitting read for many, and it's very fast-paced and thrilling. And it follows Molly. So when we meet Molly, she's living on this farm with her mom and dad, and they lead a pretty prosaic life, um, except for one thing, which is that Molly's plagued by these doppelgangers. And this happens whenever she bleeds. So imagine all the times you accidentally drew blood and then imagine that blood creating an identical you, but a totally terrifying, rage-filled version of you. (laughs) Usually lurking next to your bed when you wake up. No! (laughs) No, thank you. (laughs) Yes. Um... I'm not somebody who's easily scared, but I made the mistake of starting the book right before I went to bed, and I was so (laughs) enthralled that I got through half of the book before I put it down, and it just gets creepier and creepier and more and more harrowing as you go along. So, of course, the minute I close my eyes, I immediately open them again because I was convinced some horrible, oddly familiar shadow would be crawling (laughs) across my floor. It was terrible. Um, So... (laughs) 
<laughs> the problem for Molly is that is figuring out why this happens. And also to figure out how she's going to have a normal life and experience the world while being a danger to herself and others. So the story begins at the end. So you get the sense things maybe didn't work out so well from the get-go, but you end up getting the full story. It takes you full circle from Molly's childhood through her teens into adulthood as she learns more about herself and how she came to be and, you know, came to be the person she is. So I loved one of the women characters in Rosewater, and for very similar reasons, I loved Molly Southbourne. When I finished the book, I posted in my Instagram stories that Molly reminded me of one of my all-time favorite characters of science fiction film, which is Ripley from the <gasps> Alien franchise. Oh, man. I wish it wasn't so scary. I love Ripley. I know. I, know. I mean... I'm trying to think. If no, this is... let's be real, Sharifa. I cannot handle okay. this one. <laughs> All right. Well, I read it for you. Let's just you say did. that. You did. You did. But yeah, Molly is just really complex, really fearless, very feminist. Um, she's a fighter times 2000. Like, almost like Hannah, if you saw that movie as well. Mm. So I would not want to be on her bad side. And she's really smart. She's I don't know, basically like a bookish MMA fighter. Imagine that. (laughs) Amazing. So if you're looking for a book that's like, that's very much like the first season of Black Mirror in that it might give you nightmares, you should definitely check out The Murders of Molly Southbourne, again by Tade Thompson. And then you can pick up the second book, The Survival of Molly Southbourne, when it comes out um, in July. I think this episode maybe goes up in July. So yeah, you can pick it out that month. Very nice. I'm glad you liked it. I loved it. <laughs> I was like, Sharifa, I have a book for this that I can't read. Why don't you read it? <laughs> oh, it's so good. I'm so glad. Um, my science fiction pick is a locked room murder mystery with clones on a spaceship. It is called Six Wakes by Mer Lafferty. And it really is... Such an interesting blend of genres. So the it starts off with Maria Arena, who is a crew member of a spaceship, and she knows that like cloning is normal in this situation. And the crew of the spaceship has multiple backup clones. And the way the clones work here is that you, you know, download your brain memory essence, whatever, into the new clone when you're ready to ditch the current one. And so she wakes up and that's not the weird part. The weird part is that she's got a memory gap and also she's floating in a hold that's full of murdered people and blood. Like, eh, there's just murder everywhere. So that's not good. And all of the other clones of the crew, the other six crews start to wake up as well. And they all have the same memory gap. So one of them is a murderer because there's nobody else on the ship that could have done it. But they don't know which one, including the clone who probably did it, potentially. So they have to figure out 
what happened? And it's very mysterious. Like some of the ways that the clones, the uh, the previous clones died, don't make sense with the way the other ones did. And it just is very confusing. And so that is the sort of present timeline thread. And then you get these flashbacks to how this mission was put together in the first place and what they're like, what they're actually doing on this spaceship. And it's a very interesting tangle of, society and politics and psychology and revenge and all of this stuff. It's really, really interesting. And I will say that there were times when we would hit a flashback and I was like, no, I want to know more about the murder. Like you're interrupting my murder investigation. But it was, it's really, the backstories also get so good that after a while it was just like, okay, fine. I'm fine with this. Like it took me a little while, but it really was worth it. And it's just, I haven't read too many books that are this genre bendy. It's so, and it's so well done. It's really fascinating. And yeah, I just, like, I was trying to think, like, what would you do if you, like, if you don't even know you could be the murderer? That's Mm. just so interesting and so uncanny. And to put, you know, a locked room mystery on a spaceship. Oh, I just love it. I love it. So, (laughs) yes. And the cloning stuff is really interesting. The way the clones work is just fascinating. She's, She's built a great, fascinating world here and explored it really well. So, again, that's Six Wakes by Mer Lafferty. I've heard so many good things about that. It's book, really so. fun. It's really fun and weird. I'll have to pick it up one day. Um, my fantasy pick it definitely went in the twins direction. Thank goodness. Um, <laughs> and I kind of feel like I've been waiting for an opportunity to talk about my favorite twins of all time. Mm. Um, other than the ones I've known in real life. Uh, Jack and Jill <laughs> from Shannon McGuire's Wayward Children series. And Jack and Jill are both prominent characters in the first book of the series, Every Heart a Doorway, uh, which I'm pretty sure we've talked about on this show. But today I'm recommending the book that's all about them and their backstory, which is Down Among the Sticks and Bones. And this is the second book in the series of novellas, but as, as you may already know, each book can be read as a standalone. So you don't have to read the first book if you want to dive straight into this one. Um, I will say that some of what happens in the first book might be less surprising if you read this book first, not plot-wise, but character-wise. Um, the events in this book take place before Every Heart a Doorway, though. So anyway, I'm apparently on a horror kick because this book is set in a very, like, hammer horror-esque other world. And the premise of these books is that there are multiple doors to other worlds that kids who are suited for those worlds find. Uh, So after being treated in very specific ways by their parents and by the people around them because they're twins, ways they don't necessarily agree with, At the age of 17, Jack and Jill end up finding an escape hatch, basically, from their assumed roles through this doorway. And you might think, like, oh, the perfect place for someone is a perfect place in general. But this new home Jack and Jill found is this gothic, romantic horror world of werewolves, vampires, and mad scientists. And they 
already have a really unusual relationship to begin with, but their bond ends up becoming strained to the point of snapping when they meet someone who offers to care for them in this new place because they're completely unfamiliar with it. They don't know what they're doing in this world. Um, they don't know how to conduct themselves or how to take care of themselves. And so... This is a story that definitely emphasizes the unique bonds twins can have and how their similarities can divide them, which, you know, I've known twins in my life and I've always been fascinating by, fascinated by this, like, dynamic they have. And so I found this exploration really satisfying and I ended up choosing my side very quickly. But to be fair, I already knew which of the twins I related to most from the jump because I had read the first book. And like every book in the series, this is really whimsical. This is fun. It's a quick read that'll be, I think, particularly great for people who enjoy, you know, B-horror movies and classic horror films. They're mad scientists and vampires that play a really big role in the lives of Jack and Jill and in the development of their aspirations. And also, um, as usual, there's really excellent queer representation on the page here as well as some insinuations about gendered expectations as well as classism um so yeah i just this is such a great series this is such a great book i think it might be my favorite of the series and again that was down among the sticks and bones which is the second book in the wayward children series by shannon mcguire one of these days I will read that series. I will get to them. You'll love it. I know I will. And I this one's will. not too scary, I promise. Okay, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also picked Twins for Fantasy, and I picked Temper by Nikki Drayden. And we have talked about Prey of Gods before on this show, which is her debut novel. This one, I didn't think you could get weirder than Prey of Gods, but she went ahead and did it. This wow. book is so... Oh my lord, Sharifa. I cannot even <laughs> tell you how strange range this book is in the Ooh. best possible way it's like it, you know china mievel and and um jeff vandermeer and lauren bucus do this to me i'm like what is wrong with your brain and also i'm so glad that your brain does this but really like what on earth it's so strange it's it's about twins uh Oben and Kasim, who by the way i haven't heard the audiobook of this so i might be mispronouncing names apologies and that's how I hear them in my head. And everybody in this society is a twin. Like it's it's a it's a society 100% made up of twins. And they get vices and virtues handed out between them. And so like if one twin has one virtue, the other one can't have it. And same with vices. And Albin has six vices. And only one virtue, whereas his twin, Kasim, has one vice and six virtues, which make him, like, superior in all of the ways that count in this society. He's going to have more job opportunities. People treat him better. He, you know, gets the girl, et cetera, et cetera, because he's, like, almost a saint. Like, if you only have one vice and six virtues, like, you're, you're pretty, you're basically an angel saint person. And if you have a lot of vices and only one virtue, like, people are going to treat you like that. And so... It, they have a very complicated relationship in that it is symbiotic and they do sort of care about each other, but they're also set up in these opposing ways. So they're going to have conflict no matter what. And 
this vice virtue thing, as you might have guessed, because it is vices and virtues, is also hooked into the religion of the society. And so there are all of these stories about like demonic possessions and, you know, where the vices come from versus where the virtues come from and deities are involved. And Oban starts to feel like he's maybe being possessed or is it just his brain trying to give him an out from the awful things that he does? And, and, and as the story unfolds, you see them sort of delving into this religious system and, you know, what it means for them and the tables get turned and flipped and swept, swapped and people die and really gross stuff happens. Um, also, I should say there is a sexual assault on the page. So be aware of that. Uh, although it is not followed through on, I guess is the word I want, but attempted. And yeah, so it goes these really dark places in, in the contemplation of what it means to have virtues and what it means to have vices. And then there's even, there's this political subplot because, you know, there's a lot of sort of theocracy kind of stuff going on and everything is very magically focused, but there are also these, this underground movement called the machinists who are like creating things that aren't done otherwise exist in the society. And it's really fascinating. It's also set on an African continent that sort of feels like it it's like a mirror of our Africa, of our world, and like what it could have looked like. And so there are some interesting meditations on that as well in regards to what if like colonialism didn't happen in the same way. So Drayden is just doing so much here. She's doing the most. This book does <laughs> the most in a really bizarre and unsettling. This is an unsettling book. In so many ways. And I, w I just would turn the page and be like, what is going to happen? How could it possibly get any weirder? Oh, look, it did. <laughs> I didn't think it was possible, but it just got weirder. <laughs> and great. it's really fascinating. And I think that I will say that this is one of those books where you really have to be down for an anti-hero narrator. Like you have to be on board with being in the head of somebody who has been branded as bad Sometimes for not good reasons, but sometimes for good reasons. And you're like along for that ride. So if that is a thing that does not appeal to you, you might want to give this a miss. But I feel like I know most of the people I know enjoy an anti-hero story because it lets us, you know, explore these different kinds of thoughts that are not safe uh, to do in the real world. But on the page, like this is an interesting thought experiment as well as a really good, like it's just an amazing story. She's an, Drayden is an incredible storyteller and this is just an incredible story. So it's really fascinating and so weird, just the weirdest. So again, that's Temper by Nikki Drayden. And before we end, I have to correct myself because I always say Seanan McGuire's name wrong. It's Seanan. Seanan. <laughs> drilling it into my head. <laughs> we all, we are all there. I'm with you. I, there are authors' names I routinely get wrong too. We can only <laughs> learn and do better next time. Yes. Well, that is our show. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, if you would like to, you can email us at sffe at bookriot.com with your theme ideas or comments on things we've talked about, news items that you'd like to see us cover, themes that you'd like to see us cover, whatever. Send them along. And you can also, if you're so inclined, review and rate us on Apple Podcasts. It does help other folks to find the show, and we do love to see the feedback. You can find us online. I am on Twitter as Jen IRL, Jen with two N's, IRL. And I am also on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. 
And you can find me on Instagram at Williams. That's S-C-A-I-N-A-B Williams. And we'll talk to you next time.